Good morning. Good morning. Hi, everybody. I'm Brooke. We, uh, I guess I didn't really introduce myself last night, but Megan did. I'm Denise's daughter. And it is just an absolute honor to be here to teach with my mom. How fun is that? And so unique, right, that I get to teach with my mom. So much of what I've learned, probably the good and the bad, <laughs> I've learned from my mom, right? We, we learn so much from our moms. And uh, I remember I was at a dinner just about a year ago, and it was this beautiful dinner that this long table was set, and the people who were invited were uh, couples with young kids. So this was a treat for us, right? There were these gorgeous centerpieces, and it was like course after course after course, and we're just enjoying because the reality of the dinners at my house right now with a one and three-year-old are slightly different. And so we're enjoying this beautiful dinner and the, the host of the evening, this older couple from our church, says we have a table question. And um, he's just the most intentional, one of the most intentional men I know. And he says, the, the question is this, in your parenting, what are you going to do differently than your parents did? And what are you going to do the same? And we all kind of panicked because we have young kids and we're like, should we have a parenting strategy? Like, well, I don't know. I haven't thought of that question. Is that a bad thing? My kid's one and a half. I think I was pregnant with our daughter at the time. And um, so we kind of have a panic moment. And some people just kind of jump in and throw things out. And I think, okay, what would I do differently than my parents? That's the first question I asked myself. And immediately, here's what came to mind. I promise this will not be a roast, Mom. We were always late growing up. And I mean like so predictably late that people would tell us that the thing started like in half an hour before it started so that we would actually get there like kind of on, you know what I mean? We were like those people that were always late and it made me crazy. It made me so crazy as a kid. And we forgot stuff. Like it would be our turn to bring snack for soccer or like the soccer equipment or the, or the you know, outfit for the performance. It was like, it just was like, we were a mess a little bit, okay? Again, promise, this will not be a roast. So I'm like, I so badly wanted to be the kid who had the um, cookie cutter peanut butter and jelly sandwich. You know how some parents cut it out like in a heart and it's all perfect in your lunch. Nobody knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, I want, she's like, I do that. I wanted that so bad as a kid. I just wanted this like perfect little sandwich and that just was not our reality. So I'm thinking like, this is what I'm gonna say. This is gonna be my answer for what am I gonna do differently than my parents? And then I start to think about the question, what am I going to do the same as my parents? And just as quickly, the answer came to mind for this one. I had this vivid memory of this moment. We were living in Chicago at the time, and we were leaving the house. We were on our way to a friend's house. We had our stuff. Well, probably half of our stuff, because we probably forgot the other half of the stuff. <laughs> Sorry, Mom. And <laughs> so we had our stuff, and we see the neighbor, Julie, is outside. Um, I think that's her name. And it was a long time ago, but... I remember my mom saying, hey, Julie, how are you? You know, and Julie's like over there watering her plants or whatever. And she's like, hey, Denise, I'm good. And, you know, it's like one of those, like, you're, you're not really good. And my mom immediately, she's like, hang on, you guys. She sets down everything and she goes straight over to Julie, just makes a beeline for her. She's like, what's going on? And Julie's like, man, this is, and unloads to her about her family and her marriage is falling apart and just all of these um, just challenges in her life. And my mom 
saw her and cared for her. And my mom, Megan, shared a little bit last night. Like, let me just brag about her for a second. She's worked at some of the biggest churches in the country and runs some of the most successful women's ministries. She has written small group curriculum that has won awards and literally put me through call. It's amazing what she has done. And yet the ministry that I witnessed her do as a kid never had anything to do with her position. It was just her ability to show up, to be present, to see the need, even sometimes beyond what the person spoke, and to press into it, to not just leave it there, but to go after somebody, to be present. And isn't this so like Jesus? In that moment, as I am sitting at this dinner table, I like got emotional because all of a sudden, it was like a light bulb went off. That's the reason we were late. <laughs> right? That's the reason we forgot stuff, because my mom, this was not a one-time thing with Julie. This was her rhythm of life. It was like, I see you. I see the need right in front of me. I see an opportunity for me to care for you and to love you like Jesus loves, and I'm going to take it. And it's okay if we forget the fruit salad or whatever. And she, she did it right, you know? Like, luckily, I was able to make that connection before I even got to share my answer. She was focused on the right thing. She cared all along. She had it right, and it took me until this long to see it. And today, we are going to continue in our Matthew 11 passage looking at the way of Jesus, and here's what we're going to find. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And the next part says this, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. We are going to look at three things this morning. I'd like to tell you what I'm about to do. What was the gentle and humble way of Jesus? How did Jesus sustain this kind of living? And why was he committed to it? Why? And I hope this last piece, the very end, is not just point number three. I hope this is the moment where you make that connection, you have that aha moment like I had at the table, where you go, it all makes sense. The way he lived, the reason he lived the way he did, all makes sense now. So that's what I've been praying for for you as I've been preparing this message. Are you excited? Yeah. Let's pray. <sighs> Lord, I pray that just now we would take a deep breath and we would just settle in that our posture, even moving our body to get comfortable, would reflect our trust in you our ability to, by the power of your spirit, let go, just settle into you. I pray that we would open our hearts to receive. And for those of us who are resisting <laughs> that this morning, for whatever reason, we're not ready to receive or we don't want to, 
I pray that there would just be one thing, one piece of truth, one word of encouragement or hope that stands out to us this morning, that plants itself in our heart and grows roots, and that deeply, deeply encourages us. We are so expectant. Every time I open your word, I'm excited because it's living and active and you have something new and fresh for us this morning. So thank you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Brene Brown says, we build character the same way we fill up a jar of marbles, one marble at a time, okay? So if Jesus says, I am gentle and humble, then there are going to be a lot of marbles in Jesus's jar, moments where he demonstrates his gentleness and humility. Okay, are you with me? Moments, actions, words. And so today, I want to just start by going through, walking through just a few of those marbles, if you will, a few moments where Jesus is demonstrating and revealing to us his gentleness and humility. And I'm just going to tell it to you like a story, because when I tell my kids stories, they just sit with wonder and kind of receive. I've been looking through the book of Luke, reading it, studying it, and looking at the way of Jesus at his gentle and humble way. And here's what I've found. The beginning, our very first introduction to Jesus, right, is that Jesus is born into a very messy family, right? Mary and Joseph are not married. They haven't even been together. Mary's very pregnant. She has to go to Bethlehem for the census, and there's no room. You guys know the whole story, right? And it's just like Jesus, the Son of God, it says in Luke uh, 1, verse 32, the angels come to announce this about Jesus. Jesus, this is who he is. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And you know who this proclamation is spoken to? The kings and the rulers, all the people with influence and power and authority. No. Who is this spoken to? A group of shepherds. That's who are the first people to arrive at Jesus' birth. This is our very first picture of Jesus, and it's a picture of the gentleness and humility of Jesus, that shepherds are the first to arrive at his birth in a stable, okay? And so then Jesus begins to grow. He gets older, and you know what he does? You know what he learns? The work of his father Joseph, a carpenter's work. That's what Jesus is doing. And then Joseph and Mary take him to Jerusalem for the Passover, And Jesus is 12, he sneaks out of the caravan, and they find Jesus in the temple. And here's what it says in Luke 3 that he's doing when they find him in the temple. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, I'm in verse 46, both listening to them and asking them questions. Okay, Jesus who will be great and called son of the most high, who will reign over the house of Jacob forever, whose kingdom will have no end, is sitting and listening and asking questions. That's the most humble posture you can have, isn't it? A picture of the gentleness and humility of Jesus. And then Mary and Joseph are like, all right, Jesus, come on, it's time to go. And I love this in verse 51. I wasn't going to share this, but it's just too good. It says, he went home and continued in subjection to his parents. (laughs) A picture of the gentleness and humility of Jesus. 
And then when Jesus appears in public again, it's on the banks of the Jordan. John the Baptist is baptizing and multitudes are gathered. The reason they are all there is because of Jesus. And yet when Jesus arrives to be baptized, he doesn't march to the front of the group and announce his presence. In Luke 3, he waits until everyone else has been baptized first. Isn't that beautiful? A picture of the gentleness and humility of Jesus. And then John the Baptist baptizes him. And the voice of God speaks out audibly. And this is what, it, what God says about him in Luke 3. You are my beloved son. I'm in verse 22. In you I am well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus. And Jesus, what does he do? Arise out of the water and gather all the crowds who are looking at him, who heard this proclamation, and preach a fiery sermon like Peter on the day of Pentecost. No, this is Jesus we're talking about. Jesus goes straight into the wilderness alone with the Holy Spirit. This moment he could have capitalized on and gathered all these people where God the Father spoke audibly out of heaven and affirmed him. This is a big moment. A picture of the gentleness and humility of Jesus. And after the wilderness, his public ministry begins, and this is Jesus' rhythm. He heals, and then he moves on. He teaches, and people are transformed by the power of his truth. And then he just disappears. He is content to spend a whole day with a woman at the well or face to face. And he'll even heal somebody and then say, actually, don't, don't tell anyone that it was me. And then people begin to catch on, obviously, right? And he goes into a city and crowds will be waiting and gathered around, eager to hear Jesus. I picture that moment with the hemorrhaging woman where she's like so full of faith and expectation. If I could only touch his cloak, if I could only touch a piece of it, I know I will be healed, right? People are so full of faith, ready, eager to be around him, to gather, and he, yet he doesn't press in, receive any of the honor, any of the praise. Other people, you know, as uh, people begin to rise in fame and notoriety, people form opinions, and Jesus was shifting paradigms left and right. He made people mad. They're coming after him for a different reason. And yet, there'd be these moments where it looks like Jesus is about to just get stopped in his tracks. He just, out the side door, doesn't engage in the fight. So what is he doing? The gentleness and humility of Jesus. And here's the thing. Jesus is not gentle and humble simply because he avoids the spotlight. The spotlight is not always a bad thing. And there are moments where Jesus receives attention, right? Jesus is gentle and humble because while others are contentious for power and fame and notoriety, Jesus is content to love and to serve and to heal without receiving any of the honor or fame or praise for doing so. Jesus is zealous. See, Oftentimes we think of, of gentleness and humility, maybe it's just me, as being quiet and weak, right? 
Jesus, he is zealous. He knows what he is doing. He has energy and enthusiasm in pursuit of his cause. He knows what his cause is. It is so clear to him. And yet, he is not self-seeking in the way he pursues it. And his spirit is always in check. The gentleness and humility of Jesus is that he has full strength, but it's under control. The gentleness and humility of Jesus is that he demonstrates the ultimate power without receiving any of the praise. The gentleness and humility of Jesus is that he sees and cares for another far more than himself. I love what Spurgeon says. He says this, Our king came among us, meek and lowly, gently gliding through the world, seen by his light rather than heard by his sound. Isn't that good? He was content to shun fame and to avoid applause. He frequently forbade the grateful patients whom he healed to mention his name. His modesty and love of quiet shrank him from notoriety. This is the gentleness and humility of Jesus. And it leads me to ask the question, how did he do it? You know, I know he's God, but he's also man, right? And I think the secret to the gentle and the humble way of Jesus is not the words of power and truth that he speaks and the healing miracles that he does, the power that he demonstrates. I think the secret to the gentle and humble way of Jesus is the source of his strength. It's the place he goes before and after he does it. Are you with me? The secret to the gentle and humble way of Jesus is the place he goes before and after, and he does it every time. It's his rhythm. How many of you have ever run a marathon? Wow, that's kind of a lot of people. Wait, keep your hand up, raise them really high. How many of you have run a marathon? Okay, how many of you have run a marathon, you see the hands that are standing, but you, have done, you did zero training for the marathon, like not, not one single thing to train for it? Hold on, nothing. You just showed up and finished it. Wow, there's two, I feel like we should just applaud you because I've never even heard of that. That's amazing. When I was in seventh grade, I was on the track team. I was fast. And um, I, I was young. I did not think about preparation. Most people cannot run 26. You guys ran 26 miles without preparing? I still can't believe it. We can chat later. So <laughs> I don't think they would lie in chapel, but anyway. <laughs> Okay, so I was in, on the seventh grade track team and didn't prepare. I was young and I, was, I ran out the door. I'm sure I didn't sleep the night before. I didn't have any breakfast. I found a bag of mint Skittles in my backpack, which they don't even make mint Skittles anymore. Gross. You, it's probably obvious reasons. And I ate the whole box of mint Skittles before the track meet. And you can use your imagination. Guess what happened after the track meet? What came up? Yeah, so you don't, I don't say it. <laughs> So this is what happened to me. This is the preparation I did, which was nothing, and it was not successful for me. I felt horrible. Maybe I finished the track meet, whatever, but it was just not a good day, okay? Jesus, on the other hand, 
He does all the work and all the preparation for his heart and his body and his spirit. And you know what's so beautiful? I love this. As I, I discovered this just as I've been preparing this message and looking at this passage, reading through Luke. Jesus actually prepared for the track meets with the same focus and commitment and strategy that he prepared for the marathons. He gave it the same energy. I want to show you really quick. So Luke chapter 5, we're going to stay in Luke for a little more. Verse 15, here's what happens. Jesus heals a man with leprosy. And verse 15, it says, the news about him was spreading even further. Large crowds are gathering to hear Jesus and to be healed of their sickness. I love that some people are coming just to hear. Other people are coming to be healed. Either way, they're coming, large crowds, because they just want to be near him, right? But Jesus himself, I love that it says Jesus himself. Like, isn't that funny that he writes it like that? Jesus himself, the one who will reign over the house of Jacob forever and whose kingdom will have no end. Jesus, that Jesus, would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. Often. It's his rhythm. It's his way of living. It's his preparation. And he goes before and after. The very next chapter, Luke 6, 12, he heals a man's hand on the Sabbath. People have mixed thoughts about it. But verse 12, the very next verse, it was at this time he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. These are just the track meets. This is not my favorite one is when he feeds 5,000, right? This is a big moment. This is a lot of people witnessing this miracle. And the John version actually says, this is so good, I, I want to read this to you really quick, even though we're in Luke. The John version says, so Jesus, perceiving they were in their, their intention to come take him by force to make him king, which this is so funny, like they are so excited about this miracle that Jesus performed, they're like, Let's make him king right then and there. Like they're, they're plotting to like actually not even ask him if he wants to be king, but just take him. Because they're like, you have to be our king. If you can do this, we all want to follow you. And so Jesus, perceiving they're about to make him king, this is so good, you guys. He withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. I'm reading this word for word. So what does withdraw mean? Like he's going alone, right? So it says he withdrew by himself <laughs> alone. Just in case we're not understanding the full picture, Jesus withdrew by himself alone. And I love that there's a word again right in the middle. He's doing it again. This is his rhythm. This is his cycle. And here's the thing. We can model the gentleness and humility of Jesus with will, right? You, have you ever heard uh, people ask that question like, what would Jesus do in this moment? And it's such a good question. But even Jesus shows us the only way to sustain this kind of living, this kind of gentleness and humility through the trial and the temptation. I'm thinking of the desert and the cross, obvious ones, through the praise and applause of people. They're ready to make him king. Through the disapproval and disagreement of others, 
Some people, they are not what Jesus is about. And yet, in all of it, he's gentle and humble. The only way to sustain it is through his nearness to the Father. So I want to look at his marathon moment because I'm not satisfied. I'm a learner. I'm not satisfied with just saying, okay, nearness to the Father. That's how he does it. I want to know, what does he do when he's with the Father? Because I want to do that, right? So let's look at the marathon moment. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 26 because we're going to sit here for just a second. Here's what happens. Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and told his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. Remember what we're looking for as we get to this this next part. What are we looking for? How did Jesus sustain his gentleness and humility with nearness to the Father? But what did he do when he was with the Father? Keep that in mind. Verse 39, and he went a little beyond them, and he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying this, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus is submitting to the will of the Father. He falls on his face, right? And then he submits to the will of the Father. He says it. Let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 40, he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, your men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying so that you don't come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I love that he's telling Peter exactly why they need to pray so that you don't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus is strengthening himself by the power of God. So he's consistently submitting to the will of God, the Father, and he's strengthening himself by God's power. Keep going. Verse 42, he came away again a second time and prayed, saying, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time. This is where the consistent part comes. Consistently submitting to the will of the Father. Saying the same thing once more. And then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. And the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Have you ever thought while you're reading the gospel... Jesus is like calm, cool, and collected, like cool as a cucumber as he is walking straight towards the cross. Like it's almost odd because there's several times where Jesus is hinting like, I'm only going to be with you a little while longer. Like he knows what's about to happen, right? And yet he just seems like he has no fear towards any of it. 
He seems like he's not worried or anxious. That, at least that's what I, I notice this all the time when I'm reading through the Gospels. Like, isn't Jesus scared or like discouraged? And yet he just has this gentleness and humility and calmness walking towards the cross. And I love this passage from Matthew because it's like the behind the scenes. It's like we get a deeper backstage picture of like what is actually going on between Jesus and the Father as he's praying, right? As he's seeking him, as he's trusting him, as he's entrusting himself to him. We see what Jesus is actually doing. And in this passage, we see it is very obvious Jesus does not want to do this, right? He says three times, like, if there is any other way, can we do that instead? My soul, how does he say it? My soul is grieved to the point of death. And I can relate to a Jesus who's sitting in the tension of wanting to demonstrate the gentleness and humility and trust in the Father, and yet it's difficult. And so this picture, this passage gives me hope in the how because I see what is actually happening, what Jesus and God are like duking out in this moment in prayer, right? Do you understand what's happening here? They're working it out. It's not like it's just easy for Jesus and he goes around and he's perfect all the time, gentle and humble. No, he does the work to entrust himself to the Father, to consistently submit to the will of the Father, to strengthen himself by the power of the Father so that he can live gently and humbly, right? And that is deeply encouraging to me. I hope it is to you. And you know the rest of the story. Jesus is arrested, and he goes willingly, consistently gentle and humble. And then Pilate's questioning him and trying to get him to play this game of saying this thing or that thing. Jesus is consistently gentle and humble, carrying his cross all the way to his death. How? because of his nearness to the Father, because he's consistently submitting to the will of the Father, because he's strengthening himself by the power of the Father. And he's also realigning himself with the heart of the Father, right? There's a, um, in John chapter 17, it's called the high priestly prayer. And it's the same account, it's the evening before Jesus is betrayed and arrested but it's this whole chapter of like backstage insight of Jesus praying to his father and it's all written out. And it's so beautiful because this is what Jesus writes. This is his closing verse in this prayer. He says, I have made your name known to them and I will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. And I think this is the why. I think this is what Jesus wants us to learn and to understand when he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. This is what I think he wants us to learn. The reason that he lives the way he does. Let me tease it out for you. Because I don't want to just teach this. 
I have been truly praying for you that this would be an aha moment for you where you make this discovery for yourself and it's transformative. Will you think about this with me? Like as if I was gonna ask you the answer like in front of everyone. <laughs> think about it. Why would Jesus, when they are ready to make him king, I'm not gonna ask you the answer in front of everyone by the way for like, those of you who started sweating. Why would Jesus, when they're ready to make him king, they want to give him all the honor and the glory and the praise, why would he turn away from that? Think about it. Why would he refuse the honor? He deserves it. And why would Jesus, when they are ab abusively insulting him, when people are saying untrue things about him, why doesn't he react? Why doesn't he respond? Why doesn't he fight back? He's Jesus, so he probably has or would have the perfect thing to say to respond to this. Why doesn't he stand up for himself? Why doesn't he fight back? Why doesn't he demonstrate the full extent of his power and authority when he has it? Why does it feel like he's holding back? Why is he turning away from the honor? Why when in there are these moments where people are ready to follow him and come behind him, he just kind of sneaks away. I'm going to just go alone for a while with the Father. Why does he do this? Think about it. What could his reason be? I think the secret is in this John 17 verse. The key to understanding why Jesus lived the way he did. So that... The love with which you love me may be in them, and I in them. Are you with me? See, Jesus didn't just love us enough to die for us. He loved us enough to have lived for us. And so often we look at the cross and we see this moment where Jesus demonstrated his love for us in the most powerful way that we could ever imagine, and that is so important for us to understand, but also when we look at the life of Jesus and the way he lived, we see that every action, every moment, every decision to speak or not to speak, to join or to pull away, every single thing he did was out of love that we might see and receive the love that God the Father has for Jesus and the love that they have for each other and the love that they have for us. Are you with me? And so, if Jesus loved us enough to have lived for us, to have made every decision at the cross, but also on his way to the cross, to show us and demonstrate his love for us, whoa, that changes everything. Because we, how do we even respond to that kind of love? What do we do with that? It changes our motivation for obedience. Because when Jesus says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest, we trust him because we know he cares for us. Because we know he has us in mind. Because we know how deeply he loves us and has good for us. We trust him because we have seen his love in a real and tangible and powerful way. And I am an achiever and a doer by sinful nature. 
And I look at this passage in Matthew chapter 11, and I ask the question, what do I do? How do I, what are my marching orders? How can I respond to the gentle and humble way of Jesus and go out and do this well? And we could so easily look at this passage and ask the question, how can I be gentle and humble like Jesus? And that is a good question, but there is so much more here. That's a good question, but there is way, way more because Jesus wants us to understand that in the gentle and humble way he lived, he was demonstrating his love. And if we grasp that, there is no story, no illustration that I could give to accurately represent the breadth and depth of his love for you and for me. And that leads us to a place of like, what can I possibly do to respond to this? What can my application of this truth be? But to worship, right? It leaves us in this place of like, just adoration and awe and wonder of our God who would love us that much to not only die for us, but to live for us. And our posture of worship and adoration and awe, get this, <laughs> leaves us in a place of humility. What a roundabout way to get to the humility of Jesus, right? What if our humility came out of the overflow of our response to his love for us in worship instead of just trying to mimic the gentleness and humility of Jesus. That's powerful. And I think that's what he has for us. I think that's what he invites us into. So the band is going to come up. We're just going to respond <laughs> to this truth with worship. Amen? <laughs> I'm going to pray. God, your love for us is so big and so beautiful and so sacrificial and so real and tangible. that I pray we would see it in your life and in your death, that it would lead us to wonder and awe And Lord, would this morning not be a moment for us to simply look at the gentle and humble way of Jesus and say, I can be gentle sometimes. But would we look at the big picture of your life and be transformed by our awareness of your love? And would that change us? Would that change our motivation? 
transform our hearts. You are deserving of all the honor, of all the glory, God. There's nothing that we could do to thank you or respond to your love in a way that would be enough. And so we're content this morning to worship.